Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 28, but let a man examine himself. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, Roman Catholic uh, meaning or rendering of this means that the priest will examine you, but clearly the Bible says you need to examine yourself. The priest will tell you you need to be in the confessional on Saturday if you're going to receive communion on Sunday to make sure that you can tell him all of your sins. In other words, he will examine you and then you will be, uh, you need to get your soul cleansed from sin from the priest and now you are worthy to now receive. Uh, the communion on Sunday because you'd have all your sins dealt with according to Roman Catholicism. Uh, and, and if you don't do that, then they would say that you are guilty of, read verse 27 with me if you would, we'll go through this, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So to them, unworthily is you've not had your sins properly dealt with prior to receiving that Eucharist. That's what they would call it. Uh, and so, but but what does unworthily mean as to a Bible believer? <laughs> but let a man, verse 28, examine himself. You are to examine you. You don't need to go to a priest to get examined. I am to examine me. Have you examined yourself? And so what does it say now in in uh, in verse 28, the first part of it is, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Verse number 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Let's talk a little bit about the Lord's body. Let's go to chapter number 12. And look at verse number 13. First we'll, Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start reading at verse 13. The Bible says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. When you got saved, you were baptized into that one body. Whereby we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of his body. It is therefore not of the body. Verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. It is therefore not of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. See that? Why are we placed there? To please him. We miss this. This is such simple, fundamental Christianity. We are in the body. All of us. Same body. Not for us to get pleased. 
not even for me to please you, not even for you to please me, not even this side to please that side, but for all of us to live our life pleasing to Christ. And if you're chattering in the church house or in preaching, that would not be pleasing to Christ. Just so we're all on the same page. Then the Bible says, and verse number 19, if they were all one member, where were the body? Last verse, but now are they many members, yet one body? In other words, you just read the context like we did. Our body isn't made up of just one eye. It's got two eyes and it's got a nose for smelling and hands and feet. We, we get the idea. Uh, your eyes aren't sitting over here on a table devoid of the body. When you stay out of fellowshipping at a local church, all you do is hurt the body. If you're upset at your hand, you don't cut it off and leave it on the kitchen table and then go out and do what you want. All you would do is hurt your body. Your eyes, you don't pluck them out and put them in a jar in the refrigerator because you don't like them or they cut. No, all you would do is hurt your body. You would make it worse for your body. So this idea, well, I'm just going to stay out of a local church because of just fill in the blank. Okay, fine, except you're hurting us. You hurt the body. If I am a foot, I need a hand. <laughs> if you are a hand, you need an eye. If you are an eye, you need a nose. Well, the same way you wouldn't drink a cup, we understand that to be the content. We understand that context to be what is the contents in there, right? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what is the context here? We're going to find out it is clearly not eternal damnation. It's clearly physical, and we can get that context by basically reading the Bible. So let's read verse number 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So in verse number 29 says, Edith and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We're not damned to hell. This isn't damnation to hell. We're Christians. We're saved by the blood of the crucified one. We're not damned and we lose the Holy Spirit. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is to abide with you forever. That would mean you would never lose the Holy Spirit. You're baptized in that one body. You know what you get? A full tank of Holy Spirit. And you don't ever have to refuel. Now, you might never turn the starter to tap into it. but That's a whole other sermon. But you've got a full tank. It's just most of us, myself included, we don't tap into the fact that we've got a full tank. As demonstrated by the manners that the Corinthians are having when they're gathering for the Lord's Supper. So this cannot in any way be referring to eternal damnation. It's 
clearly by the context, a physical damnation that is temporary and it is brought upon by God as a consequence. But it certainly is not hellfire damnation. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12 and let's develop this thought a little bit more. Hebrews chapter number 12. See what the Bible says in verse number five. I'll read a few verses. Hebrews 12, verse number five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? What type of father would not care enough to correct his son? I hope we all get that. Every right-thinking father, whether he's lost or saved, it really shouldn't even matter. If you're right in your mind, if you're right thinking, you are going to correct your son. A parent will correct their children. A father will correct his son. If he's your legitimate son, stop acting like an illegitimate father. <laughs> if you love him, you would correct him. More fathers in America need to start being worthy of the name father. Provide, instruct, guide, command, discipline, chastise. You know what it shows? It shows that it shows that you haven't forgotten your son. Don't be upset that God's chastening you. He's just revealing to you that he hasn't forgotten about you. You know, a lot of times kids act up for negative attention. They're not getting attention from their father. They're not getting attention from their mother. And so they act out because at least mom and dad will give them attention. It will be in a negative way. I wonder how many Christians just act up just to get attention from God. I wonder about that. I'm not saying either way. I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just. Saying that thought has come to my mind. God loves you. He loves me. We're his children. And that's why he chastens us. He hasn't forgotten us. It's proof that he hasn't forgotten. Look at uh, uh, verse number eight. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. That'd be a noble idea nowadays. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the father of spirits and live? God wants to fix the problem. Correction from a teacher, correction from the law, correction from the courts, correction from parents, grandparents, is all to help fix the problem. I don't say no chatter in the church house when preaching is going on, 
to hurt you, but to help you so that you can come in line with the correction and be better for it. The body will be better for it. And it goes back to the examining yourself. Judge yourself. If you examine you and I examine me, you judge you, I judge me, then I don't have to judge you. And you don't have to judge me. It's the same idea with God. If you would just examine and judge yourself, God's not going to have to step in and chastise you. What if your hands picked up this week? What if your fingers touched this week? What if your eyes looked at this week? What is your uh, tongue and mouth and lips spoken this week? Judge yourself. Examine yourself. It's bad enough we're defiled, trapped in this old body of flesh. You know, the old saying, you, you, you know, it's the, these are all big social movements that people try to develop. Black lives matter. I want to get a T-shirt that says no lives matter. We're all worthless. That's why we gather around the Lord's Supper. No lives matter. We're, we were worthless sinners. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That should be enough to say amen and hallelujah and show up and really have a good spirit that's reverent concerning the Lord's Supper. We were sinners. Christ died for us. Man, that's that's a good definition of love. That's a biblical definition of love. Examine yourself. Do you fully love Christ? Is all you want to do in your life is to please Christ? In your family, in your job, at the church house, in your community? Is that all you want to do? I, whatever it is, Lord, whatever I'm involved in, I want to make sure it's pleasing to you. How's your prayer life? Is it without wrath and doubting and lifting up holy hands? Pleasing the Lord, He wants to hear from you. He wants to fellowship and commune with you. The other thing I'd like to look at, First Corinthians eleven, uh, go back there, is the phrase "drinketh damnation to himself." Nowadays, someone gets a theological degree and they somehow feel compelled to correct the Bible, and so they'll look at a passage like that. And they'll say, you see there, the Bible's wrong, except they fail to look at the fact that maybe they're wrong. <laughs> I don't ever want to be to a point where I have a degree or I have enough credits or I have a, I, you know, I come out of a certain seminary or a certain camp. And now I take it upon myself to read the Bible. And now I am somehow smart enough because I learned some Greek words or some Hebrew words. Or now I can even speak fluent Greek or Hebrew. That now I am somehow above God's people and I can now go to the text and say, well, a better way to render that would be. Except why do you presuppose that the Bible's wrong instead of presupposing that you're wrong? It's a complete flip in philosophy. Do You know why they say that that is an error, drinketh damnation, and it shouldn't be rendered as damnation. 
because they bring a presupposition to that text. And one of the presuppositions they would bring to that text would be that, well, when you see the word damnation, it has to mean eternal damnation. And so because this is talking to Christians and the Lord is addressing Christians, well, we all know that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So therefore, that cannot be the correct rendering. So we need to change the Bible. Except if you would just read the context, you would clearly see it is not eternal damnation. When you see damnation in the Bible, it doesn't always refer to your soul being damned. And you can even see that in the context of the text. Let's look at verse number 32. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Watch this, verse 32. But when we are judged, we, who's the we? That's us as Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the we in verse 32. Are chastened of the Lord. That we, that's us, brothers and sisters in Christ, should not be condemned with who? The world. You see the distinction there? Even that's made in the text. We see it's physical. Verse 30, it's explained the context. We also see the distinction between believers and then the condemnation of the world. It's different. Our damnation is not, we're not condemned with the world. See that verse 30? Uh, well, remember we did the lesson, we ran the gospel, and we gave the broad or general definition rather. And then we went through the different good newses that we see in the context of the Bible. We did lessons on that. We even did, uh, when we talked about salvation, what's the general definition of it? it would be to be delivered. But you can't say, you can't run the word salvation in the Bible and then assume or presuppose that the context and all of it is your soul's salvation. Because when we see saved or salvation in the Bible, sometimes it refers to what? Physical. And it's the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Damnation now in the context is physical. Talking, yes, about believers. Weak, look at verse 30. That's referring to their physical health. Sickly, it's obviously bodily sickness. And then sleep, that's implying physical death. And so the chastening from God is coming in the form of physical infirmities, even including death here. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Some advice for the constant critic. You've had them in your life. I've had them in my life. All that thunder. I hope that's not the Lord judging us. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, the constant critic, you know, the, the, the carpet's too blue. 
the greeters aren't nice enough. You know, the, 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 the you know, the preaching's too long. The preaching's too short. The preaching's too loud. The preaching's too soft. You know, the singing's too long. The singing's too short. In other words, there are people that come into a situation and the first thing that comes to their mind is a criticism. They're just constant critics. Don't be that person. I don't want to be that person. But does that mean we throw out all criticism? No. I've grown the most in my Christian life when someone has given me some constructive criticism, not destructive, constructive, where something is going to be constructed out of it. I am going to be better for it. I'm going to be built up and be able to serve the Lord better, be able to please him more. This is the idea and what Paul's trying to get them to understand. Hey, examine yourself, judge yourself. You don't want these consequences coming to you. We want you to be better for it. It's been said to avoid criticism. Say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. And if you have enemies, good. It, that, it, then the saying is good. Then that means you're doing something right. You all heard that one before. And then lastly, remember, he who throws dirt always loses ground. <laughs> so, you know, be careful about being the destructive critic. If you're going to be a critic, make sure it's constructive. Build people up. Take care of judging yourself. Someone else won't have to judge you, and the Lord won't have to judge you. All right, First Corinthians 11, look at verse 32. Watch says, but when we are judged, in other words, kind of just what we talked about. It's better to not be judged at all. But when it happens, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Just regard when it happens, just regard it as the Lord's chastening. Don't sign up for it. But when. If it has to happen, just regard it as it's from the Lord. And know, know this. It's not God's wrath upon you. He's just chastening you because you're a son and he loves you. It's not God destroying you. He's not the destructive critic. He's the constructive critic. He wants to construct you and build you back up. It's your heavenly father's loving hand saying, hey, come on, let's get back. Just like an earthly father should mind. Young ones get in trouble by dad. He's trying to help. Them. It's his loving hand. And as his children, he corrects them. The purpose of correcting, uh, the correcting and chastisement. Is to restore relationships, not destroy relationships. Go to Second Corinthians six. See your verse there. Second Corinthians six. Verse number. Six. 
7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, and watch, here it is, as chastening and not killed. Oh, you're killing me with all, Dad, you're killing me, Mom, you're killing me. God's saying, you know what? You need to get some chastening from me, and he's going to kill you. Get over it, move on, he wants to help you. That's the chastening of the Lord. It's for your benefit. Patiently submit to the Lord without the mumbling, without the grumbling, without the complaining. And no, he's not out to destroy you. It's not going to kill you. All right, let's do one more verse. First Corinthians 11. One more verse. Verse number 33. Wherefore, my brethren, we know who that's speaking about, brothers and sisters of Christ. When ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And he's closing out his lesson here at the end of 1 Corinthians 11. What does tarry mean? It means wait for each other. It means receive each other. How about you? I can't wait to get to the church house. I can't wait to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ. Receive them and have them receive me and, and have the fellowship. And so tarry one for another. Might have to wait. God wants us to patiently wait. And it really is a common Christian courtesy that is rooted in the love of Christ. Waiting for one another, receiving one another. That's the way it ought to be. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 16. Verse 15, I speak as the wise men, judge you what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? We're going to come together. We're going to commune with Christ. We're going to tarry. We're going to wait for each other, receive each other. Then the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread. What's bread? It's really multiple grains. Take all those multiple grains and you just squash them together as tightly and as compactly as you can. And all of a sudden, poof, you've got bread. Now, I know it's not that simple, but that really is the idea that they're compacted so tightly together. And now you have something enjoyable to eat. You can enjoy that bread. For we being many are one bread. Multiple grains compacted together, soldered together, if you will, united together. And it just makes the fellowship enjoyable. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.